WATD presents John Paul, the car doctor. All things automotive. Have questions? Call 781-837-4900. Now, here's John Paul, the car doctor. And good Sunday morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Car Doctor Program on 95.9 WATD, the South Shores radio station. And thank you for tuning in on a Sunday morning. Uh, it is, um, you know, we've, we've had a, a variety of topics that we've covered, and as we're sort of approaching Earth Day, which is coming up soon, uh, I thought it'd be a good time to talk a little bit more about electric vehicles, and we've talked about electric vehicles a lot, uh, but with us is Chris Harto. He is a senior policy analyst on sustainability policy uh, at Consumer Reports. Chris, good morning, and welcome to the Car Doctor Program. Hey, happy to be here. First off, tell us what a senior policy analyst on the sustainability policy team is. Yeah, so so really what I do is uh, advocate for reg- regulations and, and laws that are good for consumers, uh, while also kind of whenever a big regulation comes out, I, I, I dig in, try to understand, you know, all the nitty-gritty details and, and help you know, all of our great writers at Consumer Reports uh, communicate what, what these rules mean to the general public. So you read all the stuff no one else wants to read? Yep, yep. I'm currently digging through the roughly uh, 1,500 pages of the uh, recent EPA proposal uh, that they uh, dropped last Wednesday. Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like fun. Really, really a good time there. So, um, yeah. uh, but but anyway, you know, one of one of the things uh, certainly is uh, the demand for electric vehicles. And some people you talk to, they'll say, you know, uh, no one wants these electric vehicles. Well, at at my full time job at AAA, we ordered thirty five Ford Lightning pickup trucks, and we have no idea when we're going to get them because the demand has been so strong for them. Yeah, absolutely. The you know the demand for EVs is is really much much higher than people really understand. Um, you know, we we've done some recent survey analysis and we've we found that there's there's actually 45 Americans who definitely want an electric vehicle for every one that's rolling off uh, rolling off the manufacturer floor. Um, so yeah, there's there's huge demand for these vehicles, at least relative to. To how many of them are being produced right now and you know there's some you know there's and i don't know whether it will happy you know actually happen whether you know electric vehicles are completely mandated by you know 2030 or 2035 i think that's really going to depend on that balance of demand and whether the manufacturers can actually do it i'm i mean i'm old enough to remember when emissions laws changed years ago and the vehicle manufacturers kind of said to the government it ain't going to happen. We can't. We can't do this this quickly. And eventually, it happened. But it just was something that it, it couldn't happen. But um, I, I read a headline the other day, and I didn't read the story, but it said something about you know auto manufacturers going to have to continue to build gasoline cars to be able to sustain production of electric vehicles until they become that much more cost effective. Um, did you stumble across any information like that in your in your research? Um, I mean, definitely, automakers are planning to use profits from from manufacturing gas vehicles to help fund their transition to to electric vehicles. Um, you know, 
again, consumer demand is is shifting rapidly uh, towards electric vehicles. So, you know, how long they can they can maintain that, um, and and consumers are really going to continue to want to pay top dollar for those uh, gasoline vehicles is a question. Uh, so that you know, the faster they can, you know get moving on, on the electric vehicles and scale up those at the same time, uh, you know, the better off they're going to be long term. Now, when you were when you were kind of going through, um, you know, consumer demand for electric vehicles, I know at AAA we did something similar and we we found that, you know, a, a, a big percentage of people are considering an electric car in their next vehicle purchase, which could be over four or five years. Um, you know, and people are looking at different types. You know, it could be something you know small and compact like a Chevrolet Bolt or it could be the latest you know electric EV that might come out or the or the uh you know Volkswagen uh minivan uh, or microbus or whatever you want to call the the van that people have a lot of interest in what what did your um analysis turn up out of that um i mean we see more and more vehicles and more and more vehicle classes showing up in in the electric space you know right now the the options are still somewhat limited most automakers only have one or two maybe three evs on the market yet um and but they're rapidly expanding that they're rapidly increasing the number of models at the different price points um and we see that as really helping to to kind of you know, increase demand over time. A lot of yeah. people, I think, are are in the situation where they want an EV, but they haven't quite found the one that they want to buy, or they're not ready to buy a new vehicle yet. Um, but you know, over the next two, three, four years, the, the number of choices is rapidly expanding, uh, which means you know most consumers will be able to find something that's comparable to what they they want when they go to shop for an EV. Yeah, and and I was stuck in traffic at a pretty major intersection a week or so ago, and my wife and I were just sort of talking about electric vehicles, and uh, and she's like, do you, you know, are, are they as popular as people think? And you know, as we were sitting there and you know, kind of stuck watching some traffic move and other traffic not, you know, there was a Mustang Mach E that went by, there was two or three Teslas that went by, there was a um, a Rivian pickup truck, the only the second one I've ever seen, and then there was a Lucid that went by, and I'm and I just sort of looked at all of that and said, you know, we're pretty much, you know, since we've been sitting here. We've pretty much seen, you know, almost all the electric vehicle brands that we're we're going to see. I think the only thing we we're missing was was uh, a Volkswagen, and I think think we maybe even saw uh, sorry uh, a, a Chevrolet Bolt in the mix. So certainly we're seeing a lot of that. One of the arguments that comes out with electric vehicles sometimes, and you know, kind of goes into whether it's fuel economy or safety, is by mandating high fuel economy numbers or mandating better, safer cars, vehicles are going to go up in cost and people aren't going to be able to afford vehicles. And now typically the average transaction price, I guess, right now, and an average, of course, is is just that, is up over $50,000. But you also did another uh, study back in February about you looked at the fuel economy gains and those car safety improvements over um, 18 vehicle model years, and you found that really the prices didn't go up when you factored in inflation, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, so at Consumer Reports, we, we buy all of the vehicles we test. So every year we go, we have secret shoppers who go around to local dealers, and we buy the vehicle off the lot uh, using secret shoppers, and then, then we test that vehicle. We, we buy around 50 vehicles, 50 new vehicles every year uh, for our test program. So we went back and looked at the, the actual prices we paid for the vehicles we test in our test program over, you know, close to 20 years, uh, roughly roughly matching a time period when uh, both the NHTSA CAFE standards and the EPA greenhouse gas standards were both increasing rapidly. Um, and, and we did a statistical analysis. We, 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 you know, looked at all the data, sent it to our statistics team. They did all kinds of sophisticated statistical analysis. And we found that, that on a, you know, after you adjusted for inflation, Vehicle prices didn't move. They they hadn't gone up at all uh, on an on an average basis. Um, and you know during that same time period, we saw significant improvements in safety technology added to these vehicles, and and the average vehicle uh, was was saving consumers around seven thousand dollars in fu- in reduced fuel cost over that time period, you know, with with no increase in cost to those vehicles. Yeah, I remember, you know, and it doesn't seem like that long ago. Again, time flies sometimes. But I remember having a uh, what was then a compact car. And, you know, when I could hit 20 miles per gallon, it was it was a big deal. And now it's pretty hard to find a car that doesn't get at least 20 miles per gallon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the the average the average mile uh, the average fuel economy has gone gone way up, and especially in, in, in cars. At the same time, cars have continued to get you know a little bit bigger, uh, you know more powerful. So so just consumers are getting a whole lot more for their money on a new car that they buy uh, today versus one that they bought you know twenty years ago. Yeah, that's a really good point because it used to be and and. and you know maybe it was 25 years ago if a car was 300 horsepower that was a big deal now there's 300 horsepower cars that are kind of everyday cars there's nothing particularly sporty about them they just happen to be 300 horsepower cars and they might be doing it with a a v6 engine they might even be doing it with a four-cylinder engine and they're returning they're returning good fuel economy on top of that so uh it's interesting when you look at that because again i kind of remember when um, the fuel economy standards were coming out, and there was there was some coalition that was out at the time that said, "Well, the only way to meet this fuel economy standards are to are to build small, unsafe vehicles." And you know, right now I'm yeah. you know I'm looking out my window, and I see at least four midsize SUVs, and these are not small, and they're not unsafe, and they're and they get reasonably good fuel economy. Yeah, even even the smallest cars on the you know on the road that you can buy right now are a lot bigger than you know the mid. You know, you look at a you know Honda Civic or something today versus what a Honda Civic was twenty or thirty years ago, um, and you know it's it's significantly bigger than an Accord, if not you know yeah you know, the, yeah 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 really good point. I mean, I'm test driving a Kia Telluride right now and. It's you know that midsize SUV segment is a is a really popular segment, and you know even even this vehicle still I think EPA says something like uh, 
you know, an average of 21 miles per gallon and, uh, you know, up to about 25 miles per gallon out on the highway, which which isn't bad for a midsize SUV that can seat seven people. Yeah, not at all. You you would have been lucky to get, you know, 14 or 15 miles per gallon out of a vehicle like that, um, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, and in this particular vehicle, it has every bit of safety technology you can possibly imagine, everything from, you know, you know, uh, collision warning and, and automatic emergency braking backing up, blind spot warning, uh, cross-traffic alert, you know, smart cruise control with stop-and-go systems built into it, uh, and even a reminder to look in the back seat and make sure you didn't leave your kids back there. You know, so it has all of these safety innovations in the vehicle, and like you said, when you factor in the cost of, uh, you know, what this new vehicle costs versus... Um, inflation adjusted for inflation the vehicle prices didn't really change that much no which oh. which i think that really makes it you know really makes it um interesting when you look at that um you know going back to the that 1500 page document um are there any little bits and pieces out of that that you can share with the audience about you know so they don't have to read 1500 pages <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, so the you know just at a high level, what what the, this rule will do is set set new uh, emission standards for for twenty twenty seven through twenty thirty two, and those those emission standards are technology neutral. Uh, automakers can meet those standards, uh, you know, using whatever technologies they have available, which could include improving the efficiency of gasoline vehicles. Uh, deploying hybrids, plug-in hybrids, and electric vehicles. Um, EPA, in their analysis, found that uh, EVs were going to were likely to be the most cost-effective method for automakers to comply with these rules, but not necessarily the only method that automakers had to comply with it. Um, you know, with with that in mind, assuming that automakers complied 100% using electric vehicles and, and with no other improvements to, to non-electric vehicles, um, they estimate uh, that these rules will uh, drive around uh, two-thirds of vehicles to be electric by 2032. Um, so, so rough, yeah, yeah two-thirds two of new vehicles being sold being electric in 2032. Um, but I, I should note that that doesn't mean that two-thirds of Americans will have an electric vehicle in, in a little less than a decade. Um, this is only new vehicle sales. Um, and, you know, the, the U.S. vehicle fleet tends to, to turn over quite slowly. Um, you know, people only buy a new vehicle every, you know, five, ten years in many cases. Uh, so it's, it's really... Um, we we did some math to determine, you know, what does this actually mean in terms of how many Americans will need to, to own an electric vehicle for, you know, automakers to meet these standards. Uh, and, and we found that it was about 25%. Um, so in order to meet these standards, we need Amer about 25% of Americans to, to own an electric vehicle in about a decade. Yeah, I think, I think it's interesting. And, and you know, I, and, I said, you know, just sort of as an offhanded remark one time, I think in, you know, 15 or 20 years, uh, a gasoline car may be as rare as a car with a clutch pedal. 
Um, you know, you don't see a lot of standard shift cars these days, but in fact, you know, they're still around if you if you go looking for them. And maybe that's what a gasoline car will be like in that many years. You know, it's really kind of hard to say at this point where it's all going to go, but uh, it'll be it'll be interesting. And I think. You know, right now, when I've said it before, this is sort of the golden age of the automobile. This is the time where you can buy a car that's gasoline. It can be a, a gasoline electric hybrid. It can be a plug-in gasoline electric hybrid. It can be pure electric. Uh, you know, consumers have a lot of choice right now. And there's, you know, I think there's some concern from some people that sort of a mandate of uh, electric vehicles might limit that choice. But, um, you know, based on what you said, it really doesn't sound like that. It sounds like with the right work, you, you know, car manufacturers can meet these regulations and be able to sell a variety of vehicles. Yeah, absolutely. And and another thing that to, for people to keep in mind is is that you know, EV technology is rapidly improving. Um, so, you know, the the vehicles that are on the road today that are being sold today are really in many cases automakers first real attempts at at delivering an electric electric vehicle um, and they're learning a lot from that experience um, they're they're learning a lot from those first vehicles that they're getting on the road um, and that that learning will allow them to you know rapidly improve uh, improve those vehicles so that they you know have some more range that they're a little they're more efficient uh, that they charge faster um, you know a lot of work going into ensuring that the vehicles charge faster um, so the vehicle that you buy today, um, you know, may look as, you know, look pretty antiquated versus the one that someone might buy, you know, seven, eight, ten years from now um, because of this rapid improvement in the technology and, and how much the automakers are learning from these these first EVs that they're putting out there right now. Really good point. And if people want to read uh, these reports and uh, other information that you publish, do they just go to the Consumer Report web- website? Uh, yeah, there's there's lots of great information on the on the Consumer Report website. Um, if they want to uh, really dig into the the, the nerdy policy uh, stuff, they can go to cr.org/evpolicy. Uh, which is where where they'll find a lot of uh, my adv- my advocacy reports, uh, policy reports um, that are a little bit more uh, nerdy in the in the weeds. But if you just want to learn a lot more about um, uh, electric vehicles, you know, just just go straight to consumerreports.org. Chris, I want to thank you for taking a little time out of your Sunday morning and joining us on the Car Doctor program. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, take care and have a good rest of your Sunday. You too. Bye-bye. Why don't we take a break, pay some bills. My name's John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. If you would like to join us and talk about electric vehicles or any kind of vehicle or problem you're having with your vehicle, give us a call at 781-837-4900. You're listening to the Car Doctor Program on 95.9 WATD. We'll be right back. AAA is with you at every moment in your life. They have 24-hour, 7 roadside assistance, which covers you in any car you're driving or riding in, even a rental or your friend's wheels. They have great member rates on home and auto insurance, savings on travel, hotels and rental cars, and discounts on hundreds of your favorite brands. You're covered on and off the road. Learn more at aaa.com slash join. 
Don't miss the Just Steph show every Monday night from 8 to 10 p.m. for fun guests and tips on living your best life every day. I'm bringing sexy back to Monday nights. Tomorrow night from 8 to 10 on 95.9 WATD. Make an appointment Sunday morning at 11 for John Paul, the car doctor, on 95.9 WATD. Now, back to the car doctor. And welcome back to the Car Doctor program on 95.9 WATD. Um, Steph, who brings sexy to Monday nights, uh, she's going to have a little run for her money because on Kevin Tachi's show on Monday Night Talk, I'm going to be on there from 7.30 to 8. So tune in for Kevin Tachi as well. But right now, let's talk to uh, Eric from Plymouth. Eric, good morning. Good morning to you. I was just listening to the guy's advocacy on electric cars. If you do some simple math... And take the average horsepower of a U.S. vehicle and trans, you know, and equate that to kilowatts and treat it like a generator. To power 25% of the U.S. fleet is going to take about 9,000 gigawatts of electricity. Where are we going to get that? Um, I think, I think we need flux capacitors. <laughs> I think, well, hey, it's, it's not a joke. The Biden administration wants 30 gigawatts of renewable by 2030. Right, windmills, solar panels, whatever. To repower the federal fleet to electric will take about 33 gigawatts. To repower 25% of the U.S. fleet's about nine, 9,000. I mean, th- these are big numbers. Like, oh, yeah. People yeah. skipping this part of it. Where well, are going to get it if they want 25% of us in electric cars? Well, and I think that was, you know, my comment from the beginning. You know, the idea that this is going to work is only based on whether it actually works. Uh, I'm old enough to remember that when, uh, you know, the EPA mandated, you know, certain cafe fuel economy standards and the vehicle manufacturers, you know, back then were, you know, averaging 15 and I'm making up a number, they wanted 25, you know, and right. the, vehicle, the vehicle manufacturer said, it ain't going to happen. We just can't do it. We can't do it in the time frame you want to do it. So that deadline blew right by. Now, does that mean that you can't do this at some point? Yeah, you might be able to, but it may not be with um, electric or traditional electric vehicles at all. It might be with hydrogen, and you know that might be that might be the next the next fuel to make it work. Um, I had a um, he's a he's a retired engineer from uh, Exxon, and he has developed an a gasoline car uh, or a gasoline engine that he has put in a Prius. And it gets 120 miles per gallon, and it has very, very low emissions. And, you know, he said to me, it's the patent's finally gone through on it. Here's the patent number. Check it out. He said, you know, there's no reason why we can't have a gasoline car that can get ridiculously good fuel economy, ultra-low emissions, and make it work. And he, and he looked at things like, um, you know, garbage trucks in New York and he said you know there's no reason why you know they can't they can't burn sort of recycled plastic rather than diesel fuel um, so there's there's options that that are going to come up and people are going to figure it out you know our gasoline you know I I you know I love gasoline cars I you know you know especially you know fast and loud gasoline cars I love stuff that that explodes and you know has fumes coming off of it and flames coming out of it you know that's what I like you know but some of this you know some of what we're looking at you know take up the politics aside of it because I'm I'm not political at all but look at it and go you know is it going to happen I don't know if it's going to happen but I think 
you know, trying to get the vehicle manufacturers to do something is probably good. Whether they can actually pull it pull it off or not, no idea. And I think right. what's going to what's going to make it work or not is whether it's actually even possible. Like you said, if twenty five percent of the population drives an electric car and you need nine gazillion gigawatts of power to make it work, and you can't do it with you know um, you know solar panels and other renewable. I mean, personally, you know, the idea of having a wind farm off of Nantucket, you know, I can't think of any more inhospitable place to put windmills than out in the middle of the ocean. Um, you know, to me, I mean, other than it's windy, uh, to me, it's like, uh, you know, I can't, I can't keep, you know, I can't keep stuff in my shed without it getting rusty. You know, the idea of putting, you know, putting stuff in, you know, out in the middle of the ocean to keep it from getting, you know, uh, the only place I could think that could be worse is maybe like, um, I, I don't know, the, the salt flats or something, because then you have, you have salt and you have wind, but, uh you know the idea of uh, a wind farm. You know, can it can it provide some electricity? Sure. And I mean, at AAA, we're going through trying to electrify some of our vehicles. We're putting solar panels on the roofs of the buildings we own. We're trying to do a lot of things to to try to help with the economy. But you know, whether all this is going to work, not quite sure. Well, my take on the whole thing was instead of the government stepping in and mandating it, something that like we need that much electricity. That's a fact. Yep. All right, not disputable. If you want those cars electric, it's a huge amount of power. Why don't we let the free market economy take over instead of having our government completely and continually get in the way and mandate these things and waste our money? In the meantime, well, well, know, I think I'm, I'm I th- a constitutional capitalist. You brought up the windmills out in the, in the water, the wind turbines, the commercial fishing fleet literally has one of the smallest carbon footprints of any protein-producing industry in the world, and it's all non-genetically modified organic product, right? And the, the, the oceans are responsible. I have some of it thawing in my sink right now, but go ahead. Yeah, about 50% of the world's protein is derived from the oceans. There's no reason to put the windmills out there. They've got windmill and hull that they can drive up to and fix that thing hasn't worked for three years. They took one down in Kingston just a couple of years ago. They got one up in Blackburn Industrial Park in, in Gloucester where one of the blades fell off. But listen, I apologize. This isn't about, this is a car yeah. show. Yeah. I just have an issue with the electric cars. So I'll stop. Let's, I, I, let's, 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 let's go out and burn some rubber. How's that? I'm with you on that one, brother. Let's go diesel. Uh, no, no computers on my truck. <laughs> All right. All right. Thank Take you. care, Eric. Have a great yep. Bye bye. Uh, let's go to Tom and Weymouth. Oh, hi, John. Oh, hey, I'm Tom. in pretty much agreement with the last call. He said a <laughs> lot of things. And, and I'm going to say, I have a 10-year-old car bought brand new. And I never have issues with it. And the one thing that I've, I'm on my third is a battery, you know? And I don't abuse it. But everything else runs fine. And it seems today that we have finally perfected the gasoline car. They're fantastic. They run hundreds of thousands of miles. You know, you really don't have much issue. And now I'm like, why? Why is the government doing this? Why does the government really get behind things? It's money. It's really, like, to me, uh, with government corruption. There's lots of money to be made. You know, they went to windmills, and they're all environmentalists. They kill millions of birds. Now they're finding out it's affecting whales. It, they're just always, like, contradicting and lying. So I wouldn't buy one 
honestly, for that reason, I, I won't capitulate to them, to be honest with you. <laughs> I just don't trust government. But um, uh, the other thing is, uh, you know, another thing about the, the car is they're making so much high horsepower. If a lot of these car manufacturers didn't make that much, and I'm a free market guy, we'd be getting great mileage right across the board. You know what I'm saying? Instead of, do we need 350 horsepower cars? You know? So, you know. Uh, well, I mean, there there are those people who think that, you know, if you... Uh you know, if if a little horsepower is good, a lot of horsepower is better. And uh, and I guess if you know, you're right. Do we really need cars that have top speeds of 180 miles an hour when the speed limit, you know, in the fastest speed limit states might be 80? You know, do you really need 150, you know, 150 mile an hour speedometer for that matter? Um, you know, and I I think the idea I and I like what Eric said. He's a constitutional capitalist. Yeah. I, I, I'm not. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but I, I sort of like right. the ring of it. But the idea that uh, I like choice. I like the idea. If you want to go out and buy a thirty-five thousand dollars Chevrolet Bolt that plugs in and charges up and does well, um, go out and go out and buy it. Um, if you want to buy a seven hundred and seven horsepower, you know, Dodge yeah. Demon. Go ahead and buy it. Yeah, um, but I it's interesting. It's interesting that and and we did a study years ago, and we compared. And this was probably nineteen ninety or maybe ninety five, and we measured the tailpipe emissions of a nineteen ninety five Mustang GT, and it was less pollution came out of that car than mm-hmm. fifty fifty. 1965 Mustangs, and it was and it was faster. It ran better. It mm-hmm. uh, you know handled better. And you're like, well, I guess you know technology and development and all of those things really did build a better, faster, more fuel efficient, lower emissions vehicle. And would that have happened without the government sort of saying you have to do it? I don't know. Uh, no. You know, like like Eric said, you know, let the free market make yeah. the decision. And that's exactly what's going to happen. If, you know, a whole bunch of people look at electric vehicles and go, mm-hmm. you know, you know uh, we don't want to buy one. And that's kind of what it is right now is, you know, a lot of people right. want to buy electric vehicles because they're new and they're different. Uh, you we know, did, some yes. st- We didn't go from a Hudson buggy to a car because the government mandated it. It's because it was a better thing, you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, uh, you know, back back, you know, when Henry Ford was inventing the first car, you know, what people wanted was faster horses. They didn't necessarily <laughs> want a car; they just wanted a horse that went faster. And right. and that's and that's a little bit of what you know what made swayed the market. And I think today, um, you kind of look at it and go. Well, you know, if everything's electric and you, you can go 300 miles between charges and, you know, one out of every three charging stations is broken and, um, you know, mm. America, yeah. I think, relies on the, you know, great American road trip where families still get in their cars in the summertime and go on long road trips. And if they can't charge up their electric cars on the way, it's going to be a problem. Yeah. I think I asked you this one time. It, like you had consumer reports on a couple of times. Is anybody ever taking a gas engine car, just say a reasonable size engine, four cylinder, 2.4, and did a, a total comparison, 
empty tank, put 10 gallons in, take an electric car, charge it up, get that cost per kilowatt, but also break down the kilowatt cost over the country because it varies greatly. And, and what really comes out better? I, I mean, I just haven't seen that. I don't know. Have you ever seen that? I mean, really done scientifically. I want to really know. I have I have seen it, and it depends on the vehicle. Consumer Reports actually came out with a study, and they did a comparison between some electric vehicle and something like a Chevrolet Suburban. And the Chevrolet Suburban, at the end of the day, did better because it could carry more people, it could do more stuff, and it mm-hmm. did. And I'm pretty sure it was Consumer Reports. Maybe it was some other publication, but um, but they looked at it and they said, you know, in this particular case. It's more efficient. Yeah, in Massachusetts where we pay, you know, 25 or more cents per kilowatt yeah. hour, electric vehicles might not make the most amount of sense. And, uh, you know, in other states, you know, there's, you know, some states that electric rates are, you know, 10 and 12 cents per kilowatt hour. In that case, it makes some sense. And and even even the most staunch electric vehicle advocate will say that, you know, that first few years of owning an electric vehicle um, is not necessarily particularly environmentally friendly. you got to keep that car for... I remember um, talking right. to the, the uh, woman who was the head of sustainability or something like that for, for Ford, and she said, yeah, you really need to keep something like an electric Mustang Mach-E for seven or eight years before all of a sudden the, the the numbers go in the other direction because you look at you know cost and development and environmental right. things and and everything that goes into making a battery and if you and if that car's you know at two or three years old it's it's much more environmentally mm. effective to make a gasoline car but once it gets to be seven or eight years old it might start to go the other way so I mean it's going to really there's going to be a lot of things that are going to depend on it. Um, like Chris Hardo said, was, um, you know, we still really are in the kind of infant stage of electric vehicle development. I mean, you right. know, electric vehicles have been around for a long, long, long time, but from the, yeah. you know, from the 80s till now, um, yeah. there was a pretty big change. And really, electric vehicles until, you know, until uh, Tommy Tesla came out with his, uh, Elon Musk came out with the Teslas, that's what really kind of turned the market around. I remember when, you know, Tesla and Fisker were the first real electric vehicle manufacturers. And I remember I was I was standing talking to someone, and we both kind of said, you know, I think in the history books we're going to look back and say Tesla and Fisker were sort of like Tucker. They built a mm. few cars. They had a lot of fun. Maybe they made some money, and in the history books, we're going to say, well, this was something that worked or didn't work. And I guess I was, you know, we were half right, you know, because, you know, Fisker went out of business. They're coming back with, you know, Fisker Ocean. But, you know, Fisker at the time went out of business, and, you know, Tesla's, there's a lot of Teslas on the road and a lot of pretty happy Tesla owners. The real question will be when those cars get to be 10. You know, the average new car on the road now is almost 11 years old. So, you know, what will happen when those Teslas turn 10, 11, 12, 20 years old? Will they be good used cars still? Like, a you know, a 20-year-old, you know, Toyota Camry or, you know, 20-year-old, you know, Ford Taurus can still be a pretty good used car. Will a 20-year-old Tesla be a good used car? I don't know. I don't think anyone knows. Right. But I, I just think that a lot of people that buy electric cars really don't really know much about cars. I think they're just people that kind of go along. Well, oh, this is the thing. I mean, it's it, the more people that I know that talk, that know more about cars 
tend to not want them. And also, if you ask a young person, I ask a lot of young people, 20 years old, 19, like, what car would you like? And they'll go, oh, a Tesla. And I go, how come? Because it's cool. It's a cool thing to have, you know? And, well, and it's because it was expensive, and you don't see them. And that's, well, it's not real reasoning because it's a great car. It's just, you know, it's a cool car because nobody has them. But anyway. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, what, what was, who was the guy from Tool Time? What's his name? The guy? Uh, Tim, Tim or something. Tim, Tim Allen. Tim Allen. Tim Allen has a very extensive car collection, but he drives a Tesla. And somebody said, mm-hmm. you know, somebody said to him, why do you drive a Tesla? And he goes, it's fast, it's quiet. He said, it's kind of. It's you know he says it's kind of like a video game. He said, but yep. uh, you know, do I like it more than I like my you know five hundred horsepower Mustang? No, not really. But he said, you know, it's 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 a, it's just another car. Um, you know, my old boss who was the CEO of um, AAA. Um, you know, in his when I first met him, he was driving a, a Ford Taurus, and then you know as he became more mm. CEO ish, I guess he bought a. Uh, he bought a Lincoln, then he bought a Caddy, and then I said to him, "Mark, what's what's the next car you're going to buy?" And he said, "I've already ordered it. I ordered a Tesla." I said, "Tesla? How come?" And he goes, "I wanted a luxury car and an American car, and mm-hmm. that he said it just happens to be electric." And he said, "You know, I I've tried I've tried Lincoln. I wasn't happy. I tried Cadillac. I wasn't happy." I'm going to see how the Tesla works out, and he's a and he's also a car collector. He has a he has mm-hmm. a bunch of has a bunch of uh, a couple of performance cars, a couple of you know British car. You know, uh, he's got uh, an MGTD, and he's got a you know uh, an Austin Healey 1000. He's got some pretty cool cars, but he has you know he bought a Tesla because that was the reason. He said, "I want an American luxury car. I want an American car." And he said, "I've right. given the American cars a chance, and I wasn't real happy with them." But that American car he bought probably cost a hundred thousand dollars too, so it's not really mainstream. I mean, it's okay yeah. to do that. Yeah. You know, yeah. you can afford it. But I'm saying yeah. he's not really driving. You know, yeah. I mean, there's three different Teslas in there. Tesla, three yeah. Teslas. Yeah. I don't know them that well. But I mean, I guarantee he's not buying the the low end or the mid range. He's buying the high end one. Yep. Which. Anybody well, he like. well well he he ended up he ended up getting rid of the high end one and he bought two Model Threes, so he okay. bought two of the two of the cheaper ones because I don't know why <laughs> because he did you know maybe why? one ma- the tax the deduction problem what he expected yeah. maybe and he or, and rationalization uh, came in <laughs> or, or 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 he could have wanted the tax deduction <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah well, all right. Right, always, John, always a pleasure. Away. Take care, Tom. Bye bye. All right, all right. Take care. Our phone number seven eight one eight three seven forty nine hundred seven eight one eight three seven forty nine hundred is how you get through. Uh, why don't we take another break if we could? Sound okay with you there, Mister Jesse? Sure thing. All right. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. You're listening on ninety five nine WATD. AAA is with you at every moment in your life. They have 24-hour 7 roadside assistance, which covers you in any car you're driving or riding in, even a rental or your friend's wheels. They have great member rates on home and auto insurance, savings on travel, hotels and rental cars, and discounts on hundreds of your favorite brands. You're covered on and off the road. Learn more at aaa.com slash join. Talk radio with a South Shore point of view. Hi, I'm Kevin Chachi. 
Join me tomorrow for Monday Night Talk, where the South Shore comes to talk. Tomorrow night after the 6 o'clock news here on 95.9 WATD. Don't miss the Just Steph show every Monday night from 8 to 10 p.m. for fun guests and tips on living your best life every day. I'm bringing sexy back to Monday nights. Tomorrow night from 8 to 10 on 95.9 WATD. Hi, it's John Paul, the car doctor. Thinking of buying a new car, selling the car you have, or just trying to get rid of that pesky check engine light? Join me on WATD every Sunday morning at 11. We'll have interesting guests, the latest news from the automotive industry, play a little car trivia, and answer all of your car questions. It all happens each Sunday morning at 11 on 95.9 WATD. AAA is with you at every moment in your life. They have 24-hour, 7 roadside assistance, which covers you in any car you're driving or riding in, even a rental or your friend's wheels. They have great member rates on home and auto insurance, savings on travel, hotels and rental cars, and discounts on hundreds of your favorite brands. You're covered on and off the road. Learn more at aaa.com slash join. Make an appointment Sunday morning at 11 for John Paul, the car doctor, on 95.9 WATD. Now, back to the car doctor. And welcome back to the car doctor program on 95.9 WATD. Uh, Well, since we've been talking about electric vehicles, and I actually got a request to... uh, talk about the electric vehicle I drove last week, which was the BMW, and uh, somebody said to me, I kind of like the idea of it. Can I hear about hear the review again? So why don't we do that right now, too? And if you would like to join us, again, our phone number is 781-837-4900. So the BMW iX, which was what I drove, is the manufacturer's first all-electric SUV. The iX comes in Two trim levels, the iX50 and the high-performance iX M60. The 50 comes with uh, two electric motors that produce a very healthy 516 horsepower. The M option increases the horsepower to an almost ridiculous. And, and you know, like Tom from Weymouth said, do we really need 300 horsepower, 400 horsepower cars? Well, the BMW uh, M60 is 610 horsepower, and... Uh, 749 foot-pounds of torque. So as much as some people might say electric vehicles are boring, when you have almost 750 foot-pounds of torque, it ain't boring. It really isn't. Uh, The electric range, you know, on the uh, uh, sticker, if you will, said something like um, 280 miles. Um, I charged it up, and I can only charge up on 110 volts because that's all I have. I haven't committed to buying an electric vehicle charger and don't know if I really will ever. But uh, on 110 volts, it took a ridiculously long time to recharge. Uh, but I guess maybe doing it that slowly, um, it was it was up over like 300 and, I don't know, 380 miles that way. Um, you know, when I charged it up, I did charge it at a level 2 charging station, and it was it said 320, so it was still above the stated mileage. But charging up really slow, got it up, I think it was almost 380 miles. Um, 
if you had level three charging, the the fast style charging, you can you add about ninety miles of range in about ten minutes. So you know if you were out somewhere and you know stopped to, you know stopped at uh, I don't know Seven Eleven or Burger King or something and it had charging, and that's something I actually saw the other day. I went by a Seven Eleven. They had charging stations, uh, sort of over in the corner of the lot. Uh, on the road, again, this, the iX is really fast. It handles well. The ride's pretty comfortable. Uh, the steering's nice. It's actually very BMW-like. It's uh, it's pretty light at low speeds. It, it feels nice at high speeds. You get good road feel with it. Um, overall, it was really good. The cabin's really comfortable. Supportive seats offer plenty of adjustments. Um, my wife, who's 5'5", five, five, right in the middle of the head restraint area or the seat there's sort of a an opening and you know when this was a car we were stuck in traffic with by the way and she kind of put her head back up against the seat and said this metal thing is not comfortable um so if you're shorter and you're considering one of these cars you know and again you shouldn't drive with your head against the head restraint it's there to protect you if you do get in a crash but it's not a head rest it's a head restraint uh but you might find yourself as a passenger or just a shorter person, and you might go, you know, this isn't comfortable. Just something to be aware of. The insurance cost is ridiculous. It's a, um, it it has this like curved display screen, so it looks like, you know, kind of a cool television set sort of thing. But it's a twelve inch uh, instrument cluster on one side and a fifteen inch center instrument display on the other side. It uses iDrive eight which is the, I guess, the eighth version of iDrive, which when iDrive first came out, I'm like, this is awful. It has gotten better and better because it made it less and less sophisticated, I guess. Uh, It does have head-up display, and it has this uh, really augmented view on the navigation, so it actually brings up what you're really seeing in front of you on the nav screen, and it has, like, this uh, arrow system that tells you, here's, you know, turn right at this, you know, after this blue truck goes by because it's showing you a picture of the blue truck. So it's kind of neat. The voice command system, which I generally hate, was probably the best voice command system I ever used. I don't know who makes it, but it works really, really well, as opposed to some of the earlier ones that didn't work well at all. And still, on some of the new cars I drive, they don't work well. This one worked really good to the point where you could tell it to change the cabin temperature, find a different radio station, do all kinds of different stuff. It worked really, really good. Um and I think I mentioned this, and maybe this, I think this is one of the things the, the person who uh, asked me to do the review over again said something about the door handles. What was up with the door handles? And it's sort of a reminiscent of an older car that you stick your hand up in a slot in the door, and inside there, there's a kind of a button that you squeeze to open the door. Um, if you're wearing winter gloves, I, I'm not so sure you could get your hand up in there if you had a big hand. So on the inside to open the door, there's a push button. Uh, There's a redundant switch on the door to be able to open it if all the power goes out in the car. Um, One of the things that I think BMW needs to work on is the sound when the door closes. It is a soft closed door, so ideally you close the door, just let it click, and it sucks itself shut. Cool when it works. Um, But most people get out of the car and slam the door shut. When you do this, it think it tries to catch itself and it does not sound good when that happens it makes this really weird sound and it just makes a car this very expensive very high performance luxury car just sound kind of cheap uh 
Um, but overall, the BMW iX M60 is a very impressive electric SUV that offers a blend of luxury performance, environmentally friendliness. It's an excellent choice for drivers that have a generous budget and are looking for a premium electric SUV with cutting-edge technology and a range that, in some cases, rivals many gasoline cars. It's easy to see how this uh, BMW won the overall award from the 2023 AAA Car Guide. So... There it is. Speaking of more electric cars, uh, Lamborghini is going to have its first plug-in hybrid. And, yep, almost 1,000 horsepower. So who's going to buy a Lamborghini? Somebody will. But Lamborghini is lifting its, uh, the wraps on a powertrain specs for its first plug-in hybrid supercar. It's set to be unveiled uh, just this month in Europe. It doesn't even have a name yet. It uses a naturally aspirated, so non-turbocharged, supercharged V12, coupled with three electric motors. One will be mounted transversely, integrated into the car's eight-speed gearbox. The other two uh, will power the front wheels together. 986 horsepower. Back to what Tom said. Do we need 986 horsepower? I don't know. I don't think so. But I guess... I guess I'm glad you can get it if you want to get it. Um, I don't know. Uh, for 2024, the GMC Hummer EV can help you get a charge. According to an article here, GMC is expanding its charging capability of the Hummer EV so they can act as generators and send a charge to other electric vehicles. This is one of the reasons at work we were buying the um, Ford Lightning pickups because they can provide sort of level two charging uh, right now, we're we're helping people with electric vehicles. We have a uh, big gasoline generator that we have mounted on some of our trucks. And if an electric vehicle runs out of electricity, we can go out and sit there for a while and put enough electricity back in that car to get them going again. Uh, the Hummer EV Edition pickup will be available as a 2024 model year. It has an 11.5 kilowatt AC charging capacity. The boost will give the Hummer EV the ability to not only charge faster, but also offer onboard power for the first time uh, through a power station generator, including the ability to send 6 kilowatts of charge to other EVs. The capability and the 19 0.4 kilowatt onboard charger uh, comes standard on the 2024 vehicles and trims 2x and above. The brand said that it uh, includes the SUV edition as well as some other stuff. So kind of interesting stuff there. Um, I, again, I, I think you know what's going on with consumers will make uh, consumers will actually make the choice on what's going to happen with electric vehicles. Some of the stuff that kind of came in the uh, in the mailbag, if you will, this this week. You know, some of the questions I got. Uh, some were some were pretty simple. One was, uh, you know, what do you think about um, you know going to the car wash and getting the uh, and getting getting the uh, spray on car wax? Is it worth the money? Um. um it can be, but it isn't. It doesn't take the place of a of a real, of a real, hand applied wax. It's a spray wax. It's it's uh, it causes the water to beat up a little bit. Is it better than nothing? Yes. Is it take the place of putting on real wax? Nope. Nope. Not at all. Um, uh, somebody wrote to me, and they recently experienced a scary situation with their 2009 Ford F-150. Upon acceleration to uh, get their vehicle up to 60 miles an hour, the car uh, 
just kept going. And uh, then all of a sudden, the vehicle took off by itself. The engine revved up to almost 6,000 RPM. When this happened, I had no brakes. It was like stepping on a brick. The truck gained speed up to about 80. They put the vehicle in neutral to glide over to the side of the road. Nothing was stuck under the gas pedal. What could cause this? Um, I mean, it sounds absolutely like the throttle was stuck open. Um, when this and when that happens, engine vacuum will drop. But you have vacuum booster, so you should have gotten at least a couple of brake applications out of that. But the pedal certainly can get hard when it runs out of engine vacuum, and also the brakes can overheat as you start to decide something's wrong you step on the brake pedal and maybe not real hard at first and then the brakes start to overheat and then they start to fade so you get this combination of brake fade and a hard brake pedal uh this ford truck even though it's not a new ford truck doesn't have a physical connection between the gas pedal and the throttle body so there's no cable that runs from the gas pedal to the throttle body like old cars with you know fuel injection or carburetors did um so i would be looking at the throttle body but i'd also be looking at maybe things like um you know cruise control issues and i'd also be looking for codes and a variety of different things that could cause that just to see what's going on uh somebody else has um, almost a similar vehicle only even older a 1999 ford f-250 the check engine lights on they scan the computer they got a code 1401 the question is uh, do I replace the DPFE sensor or the EGR valve? Um, well, that code means there's an issue with that system. Uh, and my answer is more testing is necessary. The digital pressure feedback uh, electronic sensor is an integral part of the EGR valve, the exhaust gas recirculation valve, because in the world of cars, you can't have too many acronyms, it seems like. But the uh, DPFE sensor provides information to the powertrain control module, another three-letter acronym, PCM, to tell you how much exhaust gas is flowing through the system. Without testing the circuit, all, you, all I can really do is tell you the most common fix is to replace the sensor itself, not the EGR valve. Uh, you can do some testing in the EGR valve, see if it's working okay. Um, but the most common fix is replace the sensor. A lot of people, a lot of technicians won't even take a chance. They'll replace the sensor and the EGR valve all at one time. A tire question. I should leave this for the folks at Sullivan Tire. I recently had a screw in my car's tire. It was close to the sidewall, so the tire store said to replace the tire. Here's the issue. They installed the correct size and the same brand, but a slight variation from the other tires. Would this be a problem? So, in other words, I guess the tread is a little bit different. Same same name brand, same type of tire, everything together. Um, it's not ideal, but it shouldn't really cause any problems. Ideally, it would be best to replace them in pairs. Might not be able to afford that. Um, the only real problem I've ever encountered on doing that is on a rare occasion, the different tread patterns will make will set up like a weird harmonic and you might get like a weird noise you've never heard before and it only happens at certain speeds kind of a weird thing that will happen ideally replace tires in pairs when you can but if you can't because of whatever reason or the other tires are in really good shape yeah putting the one tire on with the weird with the little bit different tread but you've done the best you can you've uh you've gone with uh the same brand same size same type just they modified the tread design 
And we'll do one more here. Uh, somebody owns a 2003 Toyota Camry. It's a four-cylinder engine. It's got 110,000 miles on it. Recently noticed the car was running a little hot due to a loss of coolant. The mechanic attributed the loss of coolant to a blown cylinder head gasket. He stated this occurred because the bolts holding down the cylinder head to the block loosened due to the worn threads in the block. He further stated the worn threads had to be drilled out and replaced by a heavy-duty thread repair kit at a cost of about 3500 bucks. He also stated this was a common problem with the Toyota engine, and he wasn't sure about the reliability or durability of the repair. A nearby Toyota dealer agreed with my mechanic's opinion, stating the repair, if done correctly, was 80% effective. Neither my mechanic or the Toyota dealer suggested a head gasket sealant, such as Bars Leak, Blue Devil, or K-Seal. I would appreciate your advice regarding my options. Do I have to replace the head gasket or use a head gasket sealer or junk the car? Well, the helicoil wire thread insert is actually what Toyota recommends. And as long as the block and the head are in pretty good shape, the repair should be fine. I'm not a big believer in head gasket sealer, um, but they work about 50% of the time. I've had pretty good luck with Blue Devil and K-Seal. I like K-Seal a little bit better, although it's a little harder to find sometimes uh, because you don't need to remove the thermostat and drain all the coolant. Uh, Blue Devil, you're supposed to pull the thermostat drain all the coolant, put water in it, put the blue devil in it, let it circulate around for a ha- for an hour, then drain it back out, put the coolant back in, put the thermostat back in. Uh, the case seal, you just dump it in. Um, again, works seems to work about 50% of the time. The question is, should you fix a 20-year-old Toyota? As good as Toyota products are, it's still a 20-year-old car, and certainly at the end of its life, I don't know, 20-year-old Toyota, I think I'd try the case seal. I don't think I don't know that I would put thirty five hundred dollars into a repair of a head gasket, even though it's only got one hundred and ten thousand miles on it. Well, that is our program for today. I we caused a little controversy, and that's okay. Uh, I like doing that once in a while, I guess too. Uh, until well, actually, next week we're going to be talking to a coworker of mine, Lauren Paterno from AAA, about a little bit on the same subject about the environment and all uh, with. Uh, AAA strategy. We want to share that. But until next week, make sure you wear your seatbelt, drive safely, be good to your car, and if you see an emergency vehicle by the side of the road, slow down or move over. It saves lives. Talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.